Let me read you something. There was a little boy who wrote a letter to God. He wrote, Dear God, my family needs $500 for bills. A postal worker read the letter and gathered up $300 from his co-workers and mailed it to the boy. The little boy wrote a letter back the next week that said, Dear God, thank you for the money, but next time please send more because the post office deducted $200. (laughs) Now, I, I think he was grateful, you know, for the $300, and that's what Thanksgiving is about, being grateful. And I don't think he was greedy. I think he just... It just dawned on him the first time how much the government takes out and how much you have left after they take their part. But that's what we want to talk about today is gratitude. Thanksgiving, and this is going to be deep, what I'm about to tell you, so pay attention. Thanksgiving is about giving thanks. (laughs) It's about a thankful heart, a thankful attitude. And we as believers, more than any other people, should live a life of thanksgiving. It should just be part of our life. And the opposite, though, of gratitude is greed. And so that's what we want to talk about, greed or gratitude. Now, by God's grace, uh, my wife and I have lived a life for about 20 years of, of being givers. We love to give. It's something we like to do. If you haven't been here long, you'll hear me preach on it. I preach on it from the standpoint of that it is, it is a blessing, that it helps you. Um, those of you who heard me preach, that's what the book is about. It's coming out in January. I love to give. I love to live a lifestyle of giving. And and by God's grace, Debbie and I have been able to give. One of the things we like to do is bless people with vehicles that don't have vehicles or that need vehicles. And by God's grace, again, we've been able to give 14 vehicles to people who need vehicles. And that's something that we just, it's a joy for us to do. But I'm going to tell you something that happened one time because... As I have given over the years to people, and even as as I've directed funds to missionaries and people like that, what I've realized more than any other time is that giving and material things exposes people's hearts. And I, I this this is going to blow you away, but when I when I give to people, I either get one of two responses. I either get the response of gratitude, or and this may surprise you, I get the response of greed. And it may not be the first time that I give to them, but after a while of giving, you begin to get the, the, the attitude begins to come back that they expect it. And they, they not only expect it, they expect more. And they don't see it as a gift anymore. They see it as like something they've earned. And uh, it, it just kind of blows me away. So one night, we were given a vehicle to someone. You're, you're not even going to believe this story. <laughs> and we uh, had them over to dinner, took them out to the driveway, said to him, the Lord has spoken to us to do something to bless you, and um, we want to give you this vehicle. And the wife was ecstatic. She was elated, and everything was wonderful. But I just kind of noticed it was like the husband kind of expected that, kind of knew that that's what we were going to do, and he was expecting it. And there were two vehicles in the driveway. And the, in a moment, the wife and Debbie went back into uh, our home, and this man that I had just given a vehicle to began to comment, on the other vehicle in the driveway and begin to say, well, that's a nice vehicle, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a nice vehicle. And then in a moment, this is going to blow you away, he said, you think you're ever going to give that car away? And I remember thinking, not to you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that possessions... Expose our uh, expose our hearts, 
And we should live a life of gratitude, not a life of greed. Which one of those responses, greed or gratitude, which one of those responses do you want to reward in your children? <laughs> Obviously, gratitude. Well, here's the next question then. Which one of those responses do you think God wants to reward in his children? So that's what we want to talk about is gratitude. Turn to two passages, Luke chapter 12 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you'll put a marker at Deuteronomy 8, that's the one we're going to go to secondly. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, put a marker, and then open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. You know, I remember my uh, parents trying to teach me gratitude growing up. Um, and, and I think about the same thing with our children today. You know, they, they have so much more than what I had growing up. And, and sometimes you just feel like, do, I, do they understand how blessed they are? Any of you ever feel that way and understand? And, you know, that's the, it's the old story where my, your, our parents used to tell us that they had to walk to school. Remember, you know, I had to walk to school uh, in the snow, uh, uphill, both ways. You know, I mean, it was just the story got worse and worse. My dad had to kill a bear with his notebook on the way home from school one day. And it was just, he just had a terrible life. He got a peanut for Christmas one year. I mean, he just had a, a terrible life, you know. And um, and I just wondered about what, do, what, what are our children going to say to their children? You know, they, you know, you kids get on your jet packs and go off to school, you know, we had BMWs and we were grateful, you know, I mean, I don't know what they're going to say, you know, but it just seems to get worse and worse every generation, this thing about gratitude. So that's what we want to talk about is greed or gratitude. All right, Luke chapter 12, everyone there? By the way, we, the sermon notes are blank, so you have to write more, you know, this week because I didn't have the sermon ready in time and Thursday and Friday the staff was off, so it's my fault. Luke 12, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, he, he knows this person's heart that asked him to do this, and that's why he begins to talk this way. Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Now I want you to know there's nothing wrong with what he said so far. It's the next part where he goes in error. And I will say to my soul, and this is the word for self, I will say to myself, self, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, don't think about anyone but yourself. Don't be generous or be grateful, but just think about yourself. Be greedy. But God said to him, you're a fool. This night your soul will be required of you, and then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So he's talking about greed here. He's saying your focus is wrong. Your focus is totally on you. It's not on God. It's not on others. It's not on helping people. And that's what he's talking about here. This man wasn't a steward. He was a consumer. In other words, God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you all these things, but I'm giving you these things for you to be a steward of them, not for you just to consume them on yourself. And so God is answering the attitude of his heart. God was testing his stewardship with his stuff. 
Now, let me just tell you something. There's nothing wrong with stuff. And, and here's the first point, and you're going to have to write it down, and this is a deep theological truth, so don't ever forget this. Stuff is stuff. That's all stuff is. Stuff is stuff. Stuff doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God whether you have a lot of stuff or a little bit of stuff. He's not, he's not concerned with stuff. He's concerned with you. Hear me. Please hear this very carefully. God really doesn't care how much stuff you have. He cares how much stuff has you. That's what he cares about. If a man is worth $10 million and none of his heart, and his heart is not in his stuff, and another man is worth $10,000 and his heart is in his stuff, that's the one that's wrong. It really doesn't matter how much stuff we have. There was nothing wrong with what this man did in the first part. There's nothing wrong with that he had a large crop and he needed to build bigger barns. Barns are not a problem to God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he'll bless us, not only bless us, but he'll bless our storehouses. It's okay if you have so much stuff, you have to have a storehouse. God will even bless your storehouse if your heart is not in your storehouse, if your heart is in his storehouse. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns, notice the word barns, he's okay with barns, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. He said, if you honor the Lord with your possessions, you're going to have more possessions. So many more, you're going to have to have barns for your possessions. And if you'll honor the Lord with your first fruits, that's tithing, by the way. It's all through the Bible. It's under the principle of first fruits, firstborn, and, and giving to God first. It's all through there. If you honor me with your first fruits, then I'll bless your barns. I don't care if you have barns. It's okay to have barns. It's okay to tear down your barns and build bigger barns. As a matter of fact, Joseph did that. Did you know that? During the seven years of feasting, during the seven good years of Egypt, Joseph had to tear down the barns they had and build bigger barns. But he was building bigger barns for others, not for himself. And that's why God blessed him. In other words, his heart and his attitude was to help people, not just consume it on himself. So it's okay to have a lot of stuff, as long as your heart's right about that stuff. That wasn't what God was talking about with this man. This man's heart was wrong. God tests us with our possessions. A man's life, this is at Luke 12, verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. Every person should memorize that. You know what that means? I'm not more of a man or less of a man by what I possess. My possessions have nothing to do with what kind of man I am, how I, how I, how I follow the Lord, how I treat my family. That's the kind of man that I am, not possessions. God wants us to be generous and be a good steward. And God doesn't mind us having a lot of things. As a matter of fact, you understand God owns everything. And you know, realize what God is doing? God is looking to and fro throughout the whole earth for people whose hearts are turned toward him, right? That's what the Bible says. Let me, let me say that another way. God is looking throughout the whole earth for people that will be good stewards. That's what he's doing. He's looking down because he's got these missionaries that need to be sent. He's got churches that need to be built. He's got poor people that need to be fed. He's got lost people that need to have the gospel preached to them. So God is always looking, 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 looking for someone that will be a good steward of what he gives them. And this is what God says. Listen, you can keep 90% of it. You can keep most of it. And I don't mind if you have nice things. Just give me first what is mine. And be generous and be a good steward with what I give you. You realize God has all the money in the world. He's not, it's not, money is not a problem for God. Stewardship is what he's looking for. 
and he's got all these poor people that need to be fed, all these churches that need to be built, and he's just looking for someone who will be a good steward that he can pour hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars into their hands. So they'll be a good steward. Now, there is a problem, though, if you're going to be generous and be a good steward. Let me just let you know. If you're going to be a generous person and you're going to be a good steward, there's a problem and you can't get out of it. God is going to bless you. I'm sorry. I can't change it. There's nothing I can do about it. If you're going to be generous and you're going to be a good steward, you're going to get more and more and more. That's all there is to it. And here's the problem. Sometimes we look at someone who has a lot of stuff, and we immediately judge them as unspiritual. And it's very possible that they're more spiritual than you are. <laughs> it's very possible that they have lived a life of generosity and good stewardship, and so God keeps blessing them. Listen, don't judge them because the reason they have all that, it's not their fault. They have a disease. It's called generosity and stewardship. Now, I'm not saying everybody who has a lot has, is, has been generous and a good steward. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there are believers who love God, really love God, walk with God, are humble, treat their families great, and they've been generous and they're good stewards, and God just keeps giving them more and more and more and more. And some people say, well, they just they ought to give more. Well, that's just going to enhance the problem. That's just going to make it worse for them. The more they give, the more God's going to give to them. You understand? And we have this. And here's the problem. This is what Jesus was answering. This brother comes up and says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus said, let me tell you something. Beware of covetousness. Listen to me. Covetousness always judges our brother's possessions. See, that's what this guy did. This guy's saying, listen, my brother's got too much. He needs to give some of it to me. Do you realize that the firstborn got twice as much inheritance? In other words, if there were uh, two children, the firstborn got two-thirds, twice as much, and the secondborn got one-third. If there were three children, the firstborn, you know, it was divided. That firstborn got whatever that would be. <laughs> well, the Matthew won't figure out that. But anyway, that's the way they divided things up. So this younger brother is saying, my brother's got too much. Tell him to divide his inheritance, his inheritance, with me. No. And Jesus said, no, let me, let me tell you something else. You need to be aware of covetousness, see. Covetousness looks at what other people have and judges it. And there's no sense in doing that because stuff is just stuff. Stuff is just stuff. It doesn't mean anything. And let me tell you something else. Don't feel guilty if you have a lot of stuff. Don't feel guilty if you've been blessed by God. Don't go around and be ashamed. We are. You know what makes Christians feel guilty? The spirit of poverty. Now listen to me carefully. Don't tune me out. I've seen poor people affected by the spirit of poverty, but I've seen more rich people affected by the spirit of poverty than anyone else. It's an attitude. It's the way we think. It's guilt and it's shame because of God's blessing. Don't ever feel guilty if God's blessed you. Don't ever feel ashamed if you've put yourself in a position to have a pure heart toward God and God's blessed you because of it. You don't need to feel guilty about that. God has blessed you, and the spirit of poverty comes in and affects us and tells us all sorts of things. It's the spirit of greed and the spirit of poverty. Those two spirits are always chasing us. The spirit of greed and the spirit of poverty is going to chase you the rest of your life. And they're on two extremes. And they tell you, for instance, the spirit of greed says that stuff comes from hard work. The spirit of poverty says stuff comes from the devil. The spirit of greed says you should be proud of your stuff. The spirit of poverty says you should be ashamed of your stuff. Both are wrong because they both put the emphasis on stuff. And let me tell you one more time, and I hope you catch this, 
stuff is stuff. That's all it is. It's not important. It's just stuff. And the spirit of greed, see, the spirit of greed tries to get people to think we paid more than what we did for something. The spirit of poverty tries to get people to think we paid less than what we did. And the spirit of poverty is always trying to justify, always, you know, boy, that's, that's a, that's a nice outfit you have on. Oh, well, I got it at Target. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't want you to think I paid a lot of money for it because that means I'm not spiritual then. That's the spirit of poverty. It talks to us constantly and tries to get us as believers to feel guilty for anything that we do with our finances. Anything at all. I, um, I didn't realize how much it affected me, but it, it, it affected me for years because I, you know, especially because I'm in the ministry, you know. And everyone knows ministers are supposed to be poor. I mean, they're not supposed to have anything because they've given up everything for the gospel, you know. And their their families, their children should grow up without braces and not being able to go to college and all those things. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So I, I've, I've had this thing that affected me for years, and I didn't even know it affected me. I was uh, at a golf course one time, and... They had these nice jackets on sale, and they were half off. And I called Debbie and said, hey, you know, we've been talking about me a new jacket, and here's one this time. And she said, buy it. That's a great, it's a great price, you know. It's a great deal. Get it. Bought the jacket, went out to play golf, and played terrible golf. So you know what I begin to think now? Oh, I miss God. Shouldn't have bought that jacket. I know it's just, and golf just got worse. And then I thought, man, I, I need to take it back before I finish the round so my game can get better. You know, God is... Curse me because I miss God, you know. And so after I finished playing the round of golf, I took the jacket, returned it, you know. Driving home, I called Debbie. I said, I took the jacket back. She said, why did you take the jacket back? I said, well, I played bad. And I think I think I miss God and just shouldn't have done it, you know. And Now, but let me tell you what happened. I began grieving about that jacket. And I started getting mad at God because he wouldn't let me have that jacket. Why can't I have that jacket? Why can't I have a nice jacket like everybody else can have a nice jacket, God? And, you know, I just don't understand why you wouldn't let me have that jacket, you know. And about three days later, God said to me, quit blaming me for you not having that jacket. And this, I'll never forget what he said. He said, I didn't tell you to take that jacket back. Listen to me, son. I never speak through guilt. I never speak through guilt and condemnation. I speak through conviction. When I speak, it's specific. It's not generalized. It's not this guilt that you feel. And then he also said to me, also, stop blaming me because you had a bad round of golf. You can have a bad round of golf without me. <laughs> we feel guilty. We go, isn't it amazing? As Christians, if we ever get anything nice, we feel guilty. And if anyone compliments us on it, we feel like we have to justify it to them. Can I tell you something? You don't have to justify your purchases to anyone except God. He's the only one. If he's happy with your purchase, don't worry about what anybody else thinks about it. Stuff is just stuff. Here's the second thing. Stuff is the stewardship test. Stuff is the stewardship test. In other words, God is testing us with our stuff. God uses stuff to test our hearts. God wants to know how we think about stuff. And God will actually bless you and give you stuff to see how you think, how you treat that stuff, and how you think about that stuff, and if that stuff has your heart. Let me tell you something else. God not only tests our hearts with our stuff, He tests our hearts with other people's stuff. You know that? Matter of fact, in the Big Ten, remember the Big Ten in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments? 
You remember what the Tenth Commandment was? You know what it's about? It's about how you think about other people's stuff. The Tenth Commandment, Deuteronomy 5.21 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey. How about this? You shall not desire any of your neighbor's stuff. <laughs> that's, that's wrapping that verse up. Or anything that is your neighbor's. God learns about our heart by how we think about our stuff and how we think about other people's stuff. And I want to say it again. God doesn't care how much stuff we have. He cares how much stuff has us. That's the thing. The the Greek word for covet. And you think, well, I don't know why you tell me this. I, I, stay with me here. The Greek word for covet is epithumio. Epithumio. And the Greek word for lust is epithumio. In other words, it means that we're desiring something that is something that is forbidden. We're desiring something that is not God. The, the word covet actually means to set your heart upon. That's what gets God so upset. When I set my heart on a house, when I set my heart on a car, when I set my heart on clothes, when I set my heart on a job, when I set my heart on anything other than God, that's covetousness. That's greed. God wants me to go after him. Let me tell you something else that greed does. This is like that guy that I was given the car to, and he starts looking at the other car in the, in the driveway. Greed causes us to expect to receive from people rather than love. See, gratitude receives from God. Greed receives from people. Greedy people look to other people for business opportunities, for financial investments, and greedy people normally are very bitter people because they don't feel they've gotten the same breaks that other people have. Bitter people are people who put their expectation in people to meet their needs rather than God's. And that's what greed does. Greed looks to people to meet our needs, not God. In other words, that it's the same thing if a person is in need and they, they, they're short on their bills and they come to the church and they want some benevolence or something. And for some reason, the pastor doesn't feel led to give them benevolence. Now they're mad. Now they're upset. But if a person doesn't help you when you have a need, what you should do instead of being mad at the person is you ought to say to God, God, why do you not want to deliver me from this situation? There's a, in the Passover meal... Every year they would eat bitter herbs. You know what those bitter herbs were to remind them of? Bondage. The bitterness of bondage. God sometimes will not deliver you from a bad situation for a season because he wants you to remember it, how bad it was, so you won't go back into that. As a matter of fact, many of you probably have either tried to get out of debt or on your way out of debt or you're out of debt. Uh, sometimes God lets it take a while for us to get out of debt so that we remember, so we don't ever go back in there, so we remember how the bondage was. See, God is testing us. Stuff is the stewardship test. God tests our hearts by how we think about stuff. Now, here's the third thing. The spirits of pride and poverty. This, I want to talk about the spirits of pride and poverty. The spirits of pride and poverty are the spirits that work through greed. In other words, there's a, there's a prideful spirit that works through greed. There's also a poverty spirit that works through greed. Now, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, all right? And we're going to read a lot of Scripture, and we're going to read 18 verses here, but I want you to stay with me. It's very important. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. 
And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. I want you to notice the word remember in that verse. To humble you and to test you. Now, there's two reasons God takes you through a wilderness. Has anyone here ever been taken through a wilderness? <laughs> Some of you may be, feel like you're in a wilderness right now. Well, here's, there's actually three reasons, and we're going to see the third reason in a moment. But the first two, God takes us through wildernesses to humble us and to test us, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known, make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. This is the scripture Jesus quoted. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. He's saying, I'm taking you out of the wilderness into a blessed land, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless or be grateful to the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Now watch verse 11. Beware that you do not forget. Notice the words, remember and forget. Remember and forget are all through this passage. He says to remember and do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions, and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know. Now here are the three reasons that God takes us through a wilderness. That he might humble you, that he might test you. We already saw those two. Here's the third one. To do you good in the end. That's a good reason. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord. Now look at verse 17. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You need to remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as does this day. Now what is the cure for being uh, grateful? Remember. That's what he says here. You need to remember you didn't get this by your own hand. You didn't get this because you're smart. You didn't get this because you're better than other people. You got this because I blessed you. And you need to remember. And what happens all the time is there's a spirit of pride, there's a spirit of poverty attacking us. And, and let me explain to you. Let me give you some examples about how pride answers something, how poverty answers something, and how gratitude answers something, all right? This is the way pride. Pride says that I earned it. Poverty says I shouldn't have it. Gratitude says thank you. Let me say that again. Pride says, I earned this, and I deserve more. Poverty says, I shouldn't have this. I should feel guilty for what I have. Gratitude says, thank you. Gratitude always acknowledges the provision of God. Gratitude says, when someone says, well, that's nice, gratitude says, the Lord has blessed me. It's the Lord who's done this. 
See, let me give you some examples. When someone says, boy, you sure have a nice house. Pride says, well, we were going to build a bigger one. Poverty says it was a foreclosure. You know, I don't want y'all to think that we actually paid as much as it looks like we did for this house. We got a good deal on it. Because if we paid a lot, that would mean we're not spiritual people. Pride says we were going to build a bigger one. Poverty says it was a foreclosure. Gratitude says, thank you. The Lord has blessed us. That's a nice house. Thank you. The Lord has blessed us. That, what if someone says, that's a nice suit you have on. Pride says, uh, it's tailor-made. Poverty says, it was half off. Gratitude says, thank you. Thank you. The Lord has blessed us. When someone says, that's a nice car. Pride says, I have three of them. Poverty says, it's a company car. You know, I wouldn't spend this much. It, it, my business leases this, and I, I, I wouldn't do this personally, you know. Gratitude says, thank you. The Lord has blessed us. Thank you. See, pride wants people to think we paid more. Poverty wants people to think we paid less. Gratitude doesn't care what people think. It only cares what God thinks. You only have to answer to one person for your purchases. That's God. And we've got this spirit, these spirits are rampant in the church, the spirit of greed, which functions through the spirit of pride and the spirit of poverty. You know, um, uh, whatever happened to just telling the truth? You know? In other words, how much of those, uh, that car you drive, I like that car, how much are those cars? And you know, you paid $39.9 for it, and you say, well, uh, they're in the 40s. Some of them in the 50s. You know, pride. Poverty says, oh, they're, they're in the 30s, and I got it for cost. I actually got it for $100 over week, but, you know, I just call, you know, just got to explain it somehow. Whatever happened, just say, 39.9. <laughs> just tell the truth. Hey, I like those shirts you wear. What, how much are those shirts? These, they're about $80. And I really like them because they hold up real well to cleaners. And I take my shirts to cleaners a lot, and I found a lot of shirts. They just don't hold up very well. These really do. These are good shirts. They cost about $80. Why not just tell the truth? Why do we have to try to embellish it and make it sound better than it is? And why do we have to, to, to make it sound worse than it is? Now, listen to me carefully. Pride causes us to compare ourselves with others. Poverty causes us to compare others with ourselves. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. It's backwards. It's still comparing. But pride causes me to compare myself with someone else. In other words, someone pulls up beside me in a less expensive car, and I look over and I think, I'll probably make more money than that person. So it's getting me to compare myself with someone else. Poverty causes me to compare others with me. In other words, poverty, someone pulls up beside me in a more expensive car, and I look over and think, what a waste. Why would you spend that much money for a car? Here's the problem. We're always comparing. We compare ourselves to people who have more. We compare ourselves to people who have less. Let me tell you what gratitude does. Gratitude will get you to compare yourself to God and compare God to you. And if you do that, you're going to say thank you. And here's the reason. When I compare myself to God, in other words, when I compare what I've done for God, which is nothing, and when I compare my God to me, in other words, what God has done for me, which is everything, there's only one response. Thank you. Let's stop comparing ourselves with each other. 
Proverbs 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Well, that's the good, that's the way to be rich, isn't it? From the blessing of God. No sorrow. How many people you know who are rich or who are, who are very unhappy? No sorrow. Let me tell you something else. He adds no guilt to it either. God wants us to be blessed. He doesn't want us to be greedy, though. What's the key? The key is to remember. We just read a moment ago, Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives power to you. Well, and Deuteronomy 5, 15 says, You also need to remember you used to be a slave in Egypt. I am overwhelmed with everything I have. Because I know my past. I am overwhelmed that, that I can be in the ministry. It's a privilege to be in the ministry. I'm overwhelmed that, that I have the wife that I have, that I have the children that I have. I'm overwhelmed that I've had the opportunity. I'm overwhelmed. Every time I get asked to do something or speak somewhere, I don't think, well, they're, they're fortunate they got me to come. You know what I think? I think, God, you're so good. You're so good to take someone who was a nobody and who was so rebellious and to use me now in the kingdom. But if I ever quit thinking that way, let me tell you what God does. He just gently reminds me. We, uh, last uh, spring in our miracle offering, Debbie and I were able to give, you know, a large amount. And the next morning during worship, I was thinking, I just, I'm so grateful, Lord, I was able to give that. I'm so grateful. And I wasn't thinking prideful. I was just thinking, well, I'm so grateful, Lord. And the first song in worship, I gave it on Saturday night, the first song in this service, the 9 o'clock service, so some of you may have been here, the first song, I'm sitting right over there, and the Lord speaks to me. Now, when I used to travel, uh, every now and then I'd get up and I'd say this thing to kind of break the, break the moment and get people to kind of open up. You know, I'd get up and I'd say, how many of you would rather be here than in jail? You know, <clears throat> and I'd say, good, I just want to keep you grateful for where you are, you know. <clears throat> well, I'm sitting on the platform over there, and the Lord spoke to me and said, hey. I mean, I was just so clear, hey. I said, yeah. He said, would you rather be here than in jail? And for me, that's not that funny. <laughs> because I should be in jail. And that's the truth. I'm not, I'm not kid, I'm not teasing with you when I say that. I know some preachers try to say they have a bad past because they, they, they just think it makes them better or something. I don't know. I have a terrible past. And I, I'm ashamed of it. And I should be in jail. And so the first song during worship, the Lord said to me, would you rather be here than in jail? And I started crying, and I cried all through worship. And if you were here for that service, I cried through the message, too. Because I understand. Let me tell you, if you have a problem with gratitude, you need to remember. Remember where you came from. 